All right, have a seat. And once again, good to see you. If you got a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, I want to start with this. I was uh, I usually listen to the Craig Rochelle Leadership Podcast every month. And uh, uh, he did a bonus episode this month. And he was interviewing John Maxwell. And a lot of people consider John Maxwell to be the foremost leadership expert in the world, uh, certainly within uh, Christian circles. Uh, I mean, if you look at uh, uh, John Maxwell's life, He's written over 100 books, which is just nuts to me. Um, I mean, he's trained millions of leaders in developing countries. He's pastored multiple churches. And um, he was talking about, though, he was, uh, he was speaking at some conference or whatever, te- teaching on leadership. And in one of the breaks, he was talking to people. And uh, a young man who was a graduate student working on his MBA came up to him, was talking to him. And, and he said, I, I want to do what you do, (laughs) excuse me, and uh, Dr. Maxwell's response was, well, are you willing to do what I did? And you see, when we look at successful people, we would all like to do what they do or have what they have, right? I mean, if you look at somebody who's financially successful, you'd like to have what they have. You look at somebody who has a great marriage, you'd like to have uh, the same thing. Somebody uh, who has, uh, you know, solid, godly kids, you'd like to have that. Somebody uh, that's in really good shape, you'd like to, to have that. It's easy to want to do or to have what someone does or has, but are we willing to do what they did to get there. And that's where habits, that's where discipline comes in. Casey Graham, quoting Jim Rohn, says, there's two kinds of pain. There's the pain of discipline and the pain of disappointment you choose. And that's true. Um, We choose, I mean, some pain in life we can't control, right? Some pain we can control. And there's some things we can either pay now or we can pay later, but when we pay later, the price is always greater. We choose the pain of discipline or we choose the pain of disappointment. Why is that? Well, Maxwell says that consistency compounds. Consistency compounds. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. That's why the outcomes of good habits, the the, the outcomes... There's compounding results there. When it comes to bad habits, there's compounding results there. Uh, You know, I'm midlife, hopefully. You know, I've been an adult, theoretically anyway, for about 30 years. It might have been questionable at some moments in there, but uh, hopefully I've got at least uh, another 30 years uh, to go with that. And But, you know, in, in the middle of life, I can see both for good and for bad how true that is. I can see where uh, bad habits that I've had, bad decisions uh, that I've made have added up, and where good habits that I've uh, had and uh, good decisions I've made have added up. Why? Because consistency compounds. Here's a simple example. Yesterday, 
about once, you know, Philip uh, teaches the, the Micronesian version of Bible Training Center for pastors, but once a month, I, I usually uh, fill in for him to give him a break, and I was doing that yesterday. So, so I had the great privilege of teaching this first-generation group of Christians, some of them baby new Christians, the book of Genesis, and, and seeing them, you know, hear and, and learn uh, some of these foundational truths uh, for the first time, it was just really cool. It, it was a fun thing. And so I taught the book of Genesis in a little under three hours uh, yesterday morning, all 50 chapters. Um, and you say, well, how long did it take you to prepare? I mean, how much time did you spend last week getting ready uh, to teach the whole book of Genesis? And the answer is about 45 minutes. And you say, how do you prepare to teach the book of Genesis in 45 minutes? You don't. You do it in about 30 years and 45 minutes because consistency compounds. You see what I'm saying? And so what we're going to look at today as we continue this series about habits, we're going to talk about how habits bring success. And we're going to look at a, at a, at a biblical principle from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And really what I want to try to give us this morning is kind of a what, the principle, the why behind the what, four reasons from this text that this is true, and then try to, in the second half of the message, really kind of dig into some of the how this works out uh, practically, and you'll be able to dig into that even more in your uh, small groups. So here's, here's the big idea. Here, here's the principle from this text. And it's that discipline, and I'm using the idea of discipline and good habits interchangeably. Discipline is necessary for us to successfully live the Christian life. Discipline is necessary for us to successfully live the Christian life. Um, there's a couple of verses in Philippians chapter two that tell us to work out, not work for, but work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. So we need to understand salvation or, or sanctification, salvation's one-sided, sanctification is two-sided though. God's working in us, but we have to work it out. So last week we talked about how God works in us to make us new, to give us a new identity that in Jesus Christ we're dead to sin and we're alive in him. But we also saw that we have to consider this to be true and we have to surrender to him daily. So you see the two sides. Next week we're, we're going to talk about spiritual habits. So we're going to focus a little bit more on, on that side. But I want us to see that you know, living the Christian life is not just, you know, we sit back on the couch and magically grow as a Christian. We don't go to a conference and you know, we're all of a sudden instantly spiritually mature. We can't get somebody to pray for us or smack us on the head and we're never gonna sin again. It's daily discipline. I mean, this, this is what uh, scripture says. And understand, Paul is using uh, athletic analogies here. And, and so I'm going to use some athletic analogies, but probably the background of what he's talking about here is, is what's known as the Isthmian Games. It happened every two years in the area of Corinth. Uh, Jennifer, if you'll go ahead to, to that slide, uh, not, not the scripture, but move ahead to, to the pictures. Yeah, this is um, a picture of the excavation site of the stadium 
where they held the Isthmian Games. Because they held the Olympics every four years. This was every two years. In fact, uh, when we read in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 here, and it talks about running the race, a race is literally actually, a, a clearer translation would actually be stadium. It's, it's the Greek word that we get our word stadium uh, from. And if you go to the, to, to the next picture, this is a, a statue, and you see like the, the garland, the wreath on this person's head. That's what they competed for when it's talking about about a perishable crown here. This is historically, this is what they won. You know, in the modern Olympics, there's gold, silver, bronze medals. Uh, that wasn't the case there. It was only first place, this is, what you, this is what you won. Now, understand that you had to be a citizen to enter the race. And uh, there were certain rules that you had to compete by. Now, when it talks about running the race here, it's not talking about running a race for salvation. It's speaking to those who are already saved. Uh, the way that we're saved is because Jesus successfully ran the race that we fell down in trying to get out of the starting blocks, that we uh, ha have sinned, that we've blown it all, but he ran the race, he never sinned, and then by virtue of his perfect obedience and then his sacrificial death, now our sin is placed on him, his obedience, Obedience is credited to us as righteousness when we trust him. We're saved. We're in the race. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's going to enable us to finish our race, but we have to discipline ourselves is what this text is going to tell us to effectively run that race and to be everything that God wants us uh, to be. So with that as background, let's, let's just read what it says here in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race or literally run in the stadium all run, but one receives the prize? Not a silver medal, not a bronze medal, not a blue ribbon for everybody, not a participation trophy. Apparently, Paul had never been to a 21st century field day. Uh, this, this is how it worked then. And he's saying this is how the Christian life works. He says, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, is disciplined, is self-controlled in all things. And, and he's speaking here of athletes, of uh, you know, these runners, these boxers. That's the two uh, specific analogies they used. There were other events for both males and females. He says, now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Perishable means it's gonna fade away. It's not gonna last. Imperishable means it's gonna last forever. And so here's his application. He says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight is not, not as one who beats the air. I'm not running aimlessly. I'm not running just to be running. I, I'm not shadow boxing. There, there's a real competition going on here. But he says, but I discipline, literally I buffet, I think I used to read it as buffet, but, uh, but I buff it. Literally, I give myself a black eye. I, I beat myself uh, black and blue. I, I discipline my body. In other words, a good athlete makes their body their servant instead of being a servant to their body. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. So if we're gonna successfully live the Christian life, 
It requires discipline. Disciplining our time. Disciplining our thoughts. An undisciplined thought life, whether it's lust, whether it's worry, uh, whether it's um, you know, wrong identity, whatever it may be, can sabotage our lives. Undisciplined words can sabotage our relationships. Undisciplined eating or lack of physical activity, lack of discipline there can sabotage our health. Undisciplined drinking can uh, sabotage our lives in so many ways. A, a lack of spiritual uh, discipline can keep us from uh, knowing God well, can keep us from growing uh, physically. Undisciplined finances can you know, mess up our lives um, to live successfully and to mature spiritually requires discipline. That's what he's telling us here. Why is this true? Well, number one, we see in verse 24 that discipline is necessary because we cannot live however we want to live and be successful. I mean, isn't that the analogy? Everybody runs, and I'm presuming if you're in the stadium, if you're in the race, you want to win, but he says only one actually wins. And, and, and notice what he says at the, at the end of verse 24. He's talking about the prize, and he says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And what that's saying is, if we run the wrong way, we're not going to win the prize. In other words, we're going to fail instead of be successful. We can't live however we want to live and live successfully. As a Christian, or I think it's just a general life principle. We can't spend however we want to spend and have good finances. We can't think however we want to think and uh, be uh, healthy in, in, in our minds and in our lives. We can't eat however we want to eat. We can't relate to people however we want to relate to people and have good relationships. It, it's obvious. A couple ways that it, it applies, I think, is... One is, we can disqualify ourselves by breaking the rules. In other words, we can disqualify ourselves through sin. See, the athletes in the Ismian Games uh, had to swear an oath beforehand that they would follow the rules. And if they didn't, they got disqualified. I, I, think, I think about uh, the 1988 Seoul Olympics. Remember Ben Johnson? Uh, beating the greatest field in track and field history in the 100-meter uh, dash, beating Carl Lewis, who had won what, maybe was it three Olympics but before that, at least two, uh, and set a world record, but he got disqualified, had the gold medal stripped uh, for using steroids. That's the kind of thing that it's talking about here. We can ruin our lives. We can disqualify ourselves because of sin, we can also mess up our lives with a lack of discipline, with a lack of good habits, not necessarily overtly sinful stuff. You know, I, I think about Hebrews 12.1. It it's using the analogy of running a race as well, and, and it talks about laying aside every sin, but not just every sin, every weight. And, and, and I think a weight is like something that's not sinful, but something that hinders us from being everything that God wants us to be. It's like running or trying to run a race with ankle weights on. 
I mean, that's a problem, especially if you're already naturally slow like me, but even if you're fast, that's a problem. There are things that, you know, I can't watch all the sports I want to watch and be everything that God wants me to be. I can't watch all the sports I want to watch and be the husband that God wants me to be, have the relationship with Robin uh, that, that I, I want to have. Not that there's anything wrong with watching sports, but choose your pain. The pain of discipline or, or the pain of regret. Number two, discipline is necessary because there's a price to be paid to honor God and to be used by God. Paul says here, uh, you know, he said, running away that you may obtain the prize. But he says in verse 25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. He's saying athletes do it for a perishable crown. Why wouldn't we do it for an imperishable crown? You know, the Bible tells us it's given to us not only to believe on the name of Jesus, but to suffer for his sake. Paul says, I fill up in my self, in my flesh, what is lacking the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. He says, I rejoice in my suffering. In other words, I'm suffering so people can hear about the suffering of Jesus for us. Are we willing to pay a price to be used by God? Because it's gonna cost something. It's gonna cost us laying down sin. It's gonna cost us laying down some weights. It's gonna cost us laying down some of our own desires. It's gonna cost some sacrifice. The last undefeated team in college basketball was the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers. They went 32-0, if I remember correctly, won the national championship. Afterwards, their coach at that time, Bobby Knight, a lot of you remember him, was interviewed by 60 Minutes. And he was asked, why is it, Bobby, that your basketball teams in Indiana are always so successful? Is it the will to succeed? He replied, the will to succeed is important, but I'll tell you what's more important. It's the will to prepare. It's the will to get out there, go out there every day training and building those muscles and sharpening those skills. You see, victory's displayed in public, but it's won in private. If God's gonna use us, it really, it's gonna come out of the overflow of how we live our lives, what our habits and our choices are day in and day out. There's a price to be paid to honor God and to be used by God. And what Paul's saying here is athletes pay that price for a perishable crown. What kind of price will we pay for our Savior and for an imperishable crown? You know, if you think about the great athletes of the last few decades and their training regime, it's nuts. Remember Michael Phelps, uh, the Olympic swimmer? He swam approximately 50 miles a week plus specialized training plus weightlifting, and ate about eight to 10,000 calories a day to be able to support all of that physical activity. LeBron James, you know, four NBA championships, four MVPs, I, I think, um, spends over a million dollars a year on training and physical recovery. 
Jerry Rice, maybe the greatest NFL player ever, certainly the greatest wide receiver, in the offseason had uh, near his home, maybe he was on his property, would run a five-mile hilly area, including 10 40-meter sprints on the uh, steepest part of the hill, and that was just in the morning. In the afternoon, he would do weight training. Literally, some NFL players would come to join him just to see what it was like. Some of them would literally get sick and, and couldn't even keep up with him. So when they couldn't keep up with him on the hill, they definitely couldn't keep up with him in the fourth quarter of games. It's part of the reason why he was so successful. Michael Jordan kept losing to the Pistons in the playoffs before he won uh, NBA championships. So he got a trainer and some of his teammates and they started something called the Breakfast Club where they would have breakfast and do intense workouts every day before practice. After that's when he won six NBA championships. Uh, Larry Bird would run two or three miles and make hundreds of shots before games. Not just in off-season training. Uh, one night he scored 60 points two days before that. I don't know why an NBA player would do this, but he'd literally run a road race. But the thing about it is there's one of the most famous games of his career is during the finals. And uh, in, in June in Boston, there was a heat wave. It was 97 degrees that day. The old Boston Garden, Larry Bird's my all-time favorite athlete. Uh, the old Boston Garden didn't have air conditioning. The Lakers literally, when they're on the bench, were using oxygen he had one of the greatest games of his career. Victories achieved in private is displayed in public. There's a price to be paid to succeed. To, and, and success is honoring God, being used by God, fulfilling the mission he has for us. That's what we're all called to do as Christians. That's not for certain special, super saintly kind of Christians. That's for each and every one of us. If you're saved, God has a mission and a purpose for your, your life. He wants to use you. Will you pay a price to be used by God? Craig Rochelle talks about, he says he started this shortly after he became a Christian almost 30 years ago, that he tries to add one new discipline, one new habit to his life every year. He says he succeeded most years, and so he's added 20-some disciplines to his life. What about you or teenagers? If you started doing that now, where could your life be in 20, 30, 40, 50 years? How much could God use you? Why? Because consistency compounds. You can't get prepared to do something in 45 minutes, but you can get prepared maybe in a year and 45 minutes or five years and 45 minutes or 10 years in 45 minutes. Number three, discipline is necessary in order for us to fulfill our purpose and receive our heavenly reward. Let's go to verse, we're gonna look at verses 25 and 26, but I'm gonna look at verse 26 first. Paul says, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, not, therefore I fight not as one who beats the air. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, 36, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And this is what, why this is so important that we get this part of the why. To understand that we're running for a heavenly reward, to understand that the purpose is to honor God and to be used by God because here's the thing. You can waste your life with awesome time management. If you're investing your time in the wrong things. If it's all earthly, 
You can discipline yourself to the nth degree. I mean, take any one of those athletes that I named. If they're not in Christ, all that's going to mean nothing when it's all said and done in eternity. Take a successful CEO, a a successful businessman or businesswoman or just whatever. Somebody who has been super disciplined, worked hard. But if they don't hear when it's all said and done, well done, my good and faithful servant, it's all going to be burned away. You can waste your life with awesome time management. That's why what's key to all of this, what's foundational, what's primary, what's priority is knowing what our purpose is and building our life around that. So to fulfill our purpose and to receive our heavenly reward. Are we living for a perishable crown or for an imperishable crown? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. It's what you're building, what you're investing your life in, going to outlive you. You know, I referenced before Ben Johnson his gold medal being taken away because of cheating. You know what he said? It's very ironic. At the press conference after he won uh, the race, he said, a gold medal, that's something that can never be taken away from you. And it was gone in less than 24 hours. What are we building our life on? What are we building our life on? Number four, Discipline is necessary in order for us to avoid being disqualified and ruining our witness. Notice what Paul said. He said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. You know what a a frightening thought is to me? That I could spend my life trying to build the kingdom of God and trying to serve God and tear it all down in a moment, in a day, in a, in a compromise. And of course, usually compromise doesn't really happen in a moment. There's things that have led up to it. That's why discipline's so important. Do you want to ruin your life? Do you want to ruin your witness? I mean, we could name a list of pastors of Christians who have. That thought should frighten us, and I hope it's a fear that's motivating to live with discipline, to not believe the lies, to know uh, how weak and susceptible each and every one of us is, how much we need accountability, how much we need to surround ourselves with systems and people that can guard us. And so I think that's a good lead-in to the last part of this, and that's the how. And, you know, how can we actually 
implement good habits, get rid of bad habits? How can we actually live uh, with, with, with discipline? And so, uh, I don't know if I'm going to have time to get through all this, but let me just try to throw some things out, and then hopefully you can flesh this out more in your small groups. I think, number one, it starts with conviction. Here's a conviction. James Clear says in Atomic Habits, habits do not restrict freedom, they create it. In fact, the people who don't have their habits handled are often the ones with the least amount of freedom. Without good financial habits, you will always be struggling for the next dollar. Without good health habits, you will always seem to be short on energy. Without good learning habits, you will always feel like you're behind the curve. And that's true. And listen, I mean, we all fall short. I mean, I get so frustrated with myself. I mean, you know, I see ways that I blow it even as I'm preaching this series. But, uh, you know, sometimes when we blow it, that's not a habit, that's a mistake. When we stay in it, that's when it's moving into a bad habit at that point. So we can confess, repent, get going in the right direction again. The reality is we can make excuses or we can make progress, but we can't do both. Number two, I want to give us a scriptural principle to guide us when it comes to this. It's Romans 13, 14. And it says this, it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So it's two-sided. We put on Christ. We do what we talked about last week. We see who he is. We see who we are in him, that we're dead to sin, that we're alive in him. We draw close to him. We spend time with him. We abide in him. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We let him strengthen us. We're not talking about legalism and asceticism and just outward effort. We're, we're talking about letting Jesus dwell in us richly, holding fast the way it says in Colossians chapter two, holding fast to the head of the body. We're not trying to do this in our own ability, our own strength, our own self-effort, but it's Christ in us. And so sometimes we can make the mistake of just focusing on the second half of that verse and trying to do it on our own. But sometimes we can make the mistake of getting all spiritual, airy-fairy and ignore the second half of that verse too. And here's what I want us to think about with the second half of that verse. You know, look at what it says again. It says, make no provision for the flesh. What's that mean? That means practically we're going to make it as hard as we can to sin and as easy as we can to do what's right. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if we're serious about Jesus and about honoring Jesus, really, why are we gonna play around with temptation? Because I think here's the dirty little secret. What I found in my life, and I believe it's true for you too, when I've played around with temptation, it's because I really wanted to sin and not resist the temptation. That's the reality. Practically, we're going to make it as hard as we can to sin and as easy as we can to do what's right. Well, how do we do that? Well, I think Craig Rochelle gives a great principle. He, he, he makes this statement. He says this. He says, why resist the temptation tomorrow 
that you can eliminate today. This, that's what we're talking about with good habits, disciplines. Why resist the temptation tomorrow that you can eliminate today? In the specific context, when I heard him first teach this, he was talking about <clears throat> basically, you know, pornography and that being a temptation for men. And he, he likes to make a joke that's, it's, uh, you know, I like it because I'm a pastor. And sometimes people think this way. He says, you know, before I became a pastor and glowed in the dark and everything, I was a man. Um, and he, but he talked about at this point in my life, that's very rarely a temptation for me, but maybe it's one day a year, maybe it's every few months, but I'm going to decide in advance that I don't have access to it because I have filtering software, everything that's on, uh, you know, that uh, I look at on the internet, somebody sees, uh, you know, multiple people have access to all my passwords and that kind of thing. That's one example. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to eat better, get healthy, keep junk food out of your house. Why, uh, why resist a temptation tomorrow that you can eliminate today? That, that's the principle. Uh, along with this, uh, let, let's think a little bit about the process of starting good habits and breaking bad habits. What, what people who write about habits tell us that the process of building a habit basically is divided, can be divided into four simple steps. Cue, craving, response, and reward. Cue, craving, response, and reward. So think about it this way. Let, let's, say, let's say you can't stay away from your phone. Here's the cue. Something buzzes or dings. The craving is you want to know what's going on. The response is you open it and look at it. The reward is, well, you feel like you're in the know or you're, uh, you know, happy about what you see or that kind of thing. If you uh, are, are driving to work or walking, say you're walking to work and you walk past a donut shop, the cue is you smell the donuts. The craving is you want a donut. Uh, the response is you go buy a donut or four. And uh, the reward is, you know, you got the dopamine and all these kind of things going off. At least momentarily, you feel good because you ate the, the, the donut. Cue, craving, response, and reward. So if you think about this then, how do you create a good habit? Uh, Clear puts it this way. He says, make it obvious, the cue. Make it attractive, the craving. Make it easy, the response. And then make it satisfying, the reward. So, you know, if you want to start reading your Bible, if you want to start working out, you got to make it obvious. You got to make it attractive. You got to make it easy. You got to make it satisfying. Figure out how to do that for you. Then you invert these laws to learn how to break a, a, a bad habit. So the, the opposite of that would be you want to break a bad habit, make it invisible, make it unattractive, make it difficult, and make it unsatisfying. That's what Groeschel is talking about, uh, you know, with, with the example he used with pornography. Make it as difficult as you can to be able to access it. Once again, if you're trying to stop eating donuts, or if you're trying to stop spending eight hours a day on your phone, make it as difficult as hard to access as possible. Why resist a temptation tomorrow that you can eliminate today? And, you know, there's certain things. It's like, you know, as I've tried to get healthier, pretty easy for me 
to not eat fried salty food just because I just feel bleh afterwards. So not much of a temptation there. And, and that's happened with, you know, different things there. The challenge for me, though, is sweets. Because I eat sweets and I feel awesome. <laughs> I mean, it can be, you know, ridiculous. I mean, uh, you know, especially if it's bite-sized stuff. You know, it's like, I'm just going to eat one. And then it becomes two-thirds of the bag. You know what I'm saying? So I just got to keep it away from me. Make it hard to sin. Something else to think about is, okay, if our priority is to honor God, to fulfill our mission, to be used by him, don't we need to plan our lives with a schedule that's going to facilitate that? I mean, do you actually plan your life? Do you plan in habits and disciplines that's going to lead to you being who God wants you to be? I mean, I'm talking about literally. Like, I mean, if you want to grow spiritually, do you have scheduled, like, just like you'd have in your schedule, you go to work, I'm going to spend time with God this time. If you want to take care of yourself physically, do you have scheduled that, like, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the gym at this time. If you want to grow your marriage, do you have scheduled, I'm going to spend time with my spouse at this time, or this night is date night, or, or whatever it may be. Listen, growth happens intentionally, not accidentally. And we can just kind of let life live us and just kind of float through, or we can choose in the power of the Holy Spirit to take control of our lives. But let me say this to us. This probably means if we want to be who more of God wants, who God wants us to be, we've got to make space for God to be able to do what he wants to do. And and what I mean practically is this. You know, a lot of us may have a to-do list. We probably need a to-don't list. There's some things that we're going to need to stop doing, some uh, maybe not sinful things, but just some things we're going to need to lay aside to be everything that God wants us to be. And maybe some of you need to lay aside some things just to have some time to rest. You're killing yourself. You know, there's something about Sabbath in the Bible. It's a don't list. You know, I learned about this a few years ago. You know, something that, that True Life was a part of starting is something that God really used, something we did for several years. Is we did a youth rally with, with an evangelist named Jeff Harville, and it started True Life. And after two or three years, it outgrew True Life. I mean, we literally, um, you know, this, this room, normally it has 216 chairs in it. Right now it has about 180. But literally the last year it was a True Life. There were 300 people here in this room, in the lobby. I mean, there were teenagers everywhere. It was August. It was like 105 degrees in here, it, it, it felt like. We went to Alpha, outgrew it in a year there. Went to First Baptist. I mean, at its peak, there were close to 1,000 uh, students at it. And I felt like God told me to step away from it for some different reasons, um, you know, kind of pass it off more to the youth ministers. Kind of, it took too much time for me. But literally... Within a week of me stepping down from that, David Robinson came to me to talk about going to Washington to plant a church, which we were, you know, they replanted, but able to participate in that. And Julio called me from Honduras about the possibility of starting, you know, the seminary, the training centers uh, there. And um, 
so this youth rally has continued on, but I've made way more impact by teaching and writing seminary classes that's now multiplying and will continue to multiply down through the years. But I, God removed one thing to make space for something better. Are there things that you're hanging on to that you need to let go of um, to make space for what God really wants to do with you? You can't do it all. Guaranteed way to fail is to try to do it all. There's certain things that God has assigned for you to do. And success in life is finding out what God wants you to do and doing it. But it takes discipline to do it day in and day out. And listen, uh, you've heard this before, but it's true. We uh, way overestimate what we can do in a year, and we, may, uh, way, we way underestimate what we can do in 10 years. Consistency compounds. If you'll walk with Jesus, if you'll serve him, if you'll obey him, if you'll discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, which we're gonna talk about next week, day in and day out, your life, when it's all said and done, will bear great fruit. And you'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you'll receive an imperishable crown. If you're in Christ, that's how you're called to live. That's what you're called to live for. If you're not in Christ, he wants to save you. He wants you to get in this race. He wants your life to count. He wants to use you because the reality is whatever great things you do on earth, it's ultimately gonna all burn away and be meaningless, forgotten. God's designed us for eternity. Scripture says he's put eternity in our hearts. He wants us to know and enjoy him and experience the joy of our reward forever. He, do, he doesn't want us to be eternally separated from him in, in hell. He wants us to have a relationship with him and he wants to use our lives. And it happens through laying the foundation of Jesus Christ. And then it happens daily by building on that foundation with discipline and obedience. Are you running the race? Are you running to win? Are you running with discipline? Because that's the only way we can win. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life because you got the wrong purpose and the wrong priority. And don't waste your life just because, don't miss out on God's best just because you won't discipline yourself to experience that. There's not shortcuts. Listen, if these athletes can go through all this to win a medal, it can be taken away in 24 hours. What should we be willing to do for the one who left heaven and came to earth and gave himself for us? Let's bow our heads and, and, and close our eyes.